Hello, and welcome to the Stupid Sequels Podcast, where we find truly terrible movies and give them all the attention they don't deserve. Each episode, we'll discuss exactly what made such a horrible sequel, from casting to budget to just plain bad writing. While we all love a great movie, there's something just a little more fun about watching a seriously stupid sequel. Now, while there are plenty of awful sequels out there, we have a few guidelines about the kind of movies we'll be reviewing here. We're talking about direct-to-video, made-for-TV, never-appeared-in-a-theater sequels. The ones the studios gave up on before they even started. This week, my guest is Leanne, and we will be discussing The Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning, the prequel to The Little Mermaid. That's right, guys. There's a prequel and a sequel. And did they get Jody Benson for all three? You bet your ass they did. Hi, Leanne. Hello. Uh, Leanne does not listen to this show clearly because before we sat down, she's like, am I allowed to curse? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I listen to the podcast, but right now I could not explicitly remember any specific instances of cursing. You so can explicitly very, remember a I will explicitly remember the explicits. No, thank you. We were explicitly explicit. Okay, so just for comparison, the original got a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I'm sorry is eight too few. That shit's 100%. And the sequel got a 33%, so 59% difference. That actually sounds about right. Um, the original came out in 1989 with a budget of $40 million and made $211 million. Holy shit. Um, couldn't find any information about the budget of the 2008 sequel. Uh, there is also a sequel called Return to the Sea, which you're all probably remembering, that has Ariel's daughter Melody. It was considered, but Ariel's beginning is just... Tragic. <sighs> it's so bad. And inconsistent with the movie well, that follows it. Well, first off, let me start by saying I love The Little Mermaid. As we all do. Absolutely the movie of my childhood. And really, to this day, I could recite the entire film line for line, lyric for lyric, because it's memorable. Yeah. The characters, plot, music, storytelling, work a genius, Alan Menken, Menken, God bless. Menken. So fast forward to The Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea, with Melody. And while that movie did not attain the critical success that Little Mermaid did, there were heartfelt moments. Yeah. It was good. There were cute songs. And they got Pat Carroll back to play Ursula's and sister. And the return of the original voice actor. So overall, oh, so good. it was all right. Yeah. And while most sequels, you know, pass over certain plot points, backstory, logic, it was nowhere near as bad as The Little Mermaid 3, Ariel's Beginning. It, it completely, <laughs> like, forgets that The Little Mermaid happens with the things that are that happen like what the fuck it's like they what did, the fuck? it's like they did no setting up for the little mermaid like at the very okay the thing the only thing they had to do at the end of the little mermaid ariel's beginning was have ariel be like oh my god human stuff this is amazing at like at no point does she show any interest in human stuff which at is like all kind of her whole thing also there was an entire Little Mermaid animated show on Disney Channel. If you didn't watch it, your parents didn't love you, or you weren't me forcing Rebecca Hawkins to play the one episode about the Whirlpool over and over on VHS. I'm sorry, Rebecca. It was the best one. So, also, The Little Mermaid Ariel's Beginning uh, completely obliterates the prequel because it actually is, like, about the characters and is actually, like, a prequel to the characters. Like, there's hints where, like, Ariel and Eric, like, almost meet, and then they don't. I'm like, yes, this is a prequel over the course of, like, five seasons. So fucking dumb. Okay, so it's all originally based on the 1837 novel by Hans Christian Andersen, who is also... Hans Christian Andersen has a cameo 
in the Little Mermaid animated show. That's how good it is. Yeah, he does. Hans meets the mermaid. He's like, I should write your story, which is so cute. Uh, there's a Broadway musical that opened in 2008 with Sierra Bajas, who, I'm sorry, if you don't know who she is, kill yourself. She's the nicest person I've ever met. She is an actual mermaid with flowing red hair. Also Titus Burgess. Yes. He is also Titus on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yes, Titus plays Titus. Uh, Sierra Bajas is amazing, and I love her. And when I hugged her, I almost cried. Um, so uh, they have music from the original in the musical but then they have original ones including her voice she's in love positivity and one step closer um it's also revealed in the musical which was in the movie but then they edited it out that ursula is triton's sister which meh okay it changes some things but not many um, At least it gives you an idea of where this witch came from. Yeah, you know like, wait, I mean? why does this... Like, why, why does she witch... hates Triton and Atlantica so much? And, like, why does Ariel, like, so, sort of know about her? Um, the sequel features five songs, two of which are reprises. So it, it has three songs. They're written by... I'm not going to say their names because you don't deserve the embarrassment. Um, Jodie Benson returns for all of the Little Mermaid movies and the TV show because Jodie Benson is a goddess gracious as fuck to grace this prequel with her presence I and Samuel E. Wright comes back as Sebastian and Kenneth Mars wanted to come back as Trent but he got cancer and died was the cancer as bad as this movie we may never know am I going to hell most definitely absolutely you are (laughs) but what I can't stand about this movie is this prequel is supposed to be about backstory but yeah. truly, only the first half is about the backstory of Atlantica and these mer people. Yeah. The second half of the story it's is about movie? solving a problem that the writers created just for the purpose of this film. It's so dumb. The movie has overwhelming plot and character it- elements stolen from other movies <laughs> that destroys any originality that this film initially had. It takes the premise of Ariel has a good voice. And remember that song her sister sang at the beginning? What if we made a whole movie about that? Pretty much <laughs> just pretty that. Pretty much took that premise and made it a prequel. It's so dumb. And then also, like, I thought Ariel's mom dying would be the catalyst of the movie. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, it happened. In the first five minutes. And then the rest of the movie happens. Exactly. Yeah. First five minutes, backstory that sets you up for The Little Mermaid. Everything else is they filled about 50 minutes of nothing and literally i'm watching the movie and i'm like there's still 45 minutes left of what of what i literally could have stopped watching it yeah after you know triton throws the music box out into the ocean and yeah and told you exactly it, what was gonna happen yeah, and it would have been fine i just throughout this entire movie there are just so many movie sins i would call them while watching it because i watch cinema sins because I watch Cinema Sins. Oh, Shout out Cinema to Cinema Sins. Sins. Okay, fuck you, Cinema Sins, because when I'm watching these movies, I hear dings in my head. You did this to me. I literally typed ding as I was jotting down my thoughts for this. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out. Stealing your gig. So I would like to start at the top and share these movie sins that I have found. Real quick. I'm going to just throw down some trivia about the original so you can have some goodness in your Hit heart me. before Hit we me. vomit all over it. One, Sebastian was supposed to be British, but then Howard Ashman was like, what if we had a Jamaican accent, which opened the door to all the Calypso numbers and saved the movie, frankly. Um, Ariel was made to be a redhead. She was going to be a blonde originally, but they made her a redhead, so she didn't look like Daryl Hannah from Splash, 
By the way, they're remaking Splash, Gender Flipped, and Channing Tatum is the mermaid. <laughs> I am so excited. I am so excited. Can I please come back as a guest on this show and review that Okay, film? but can it be, and it won't be because she's too big now, can it be Channing Tatum and Margot Robbie? Ooh. Right? Ooh. Right? If Channing Tatum's gonna do it, Margot might do it. I feel like Margot's like, I'm in my artistic phase now. I'm not doing, like, rom-coms. I think mm, it's a really she's, Yeah, she's Shannon moved Tatum's on. A great time. Uh, ben Wright, uh, the voice of Grimsby, and this was his final film. He was also Roger in 101 Dalmatians and Rama in The Jungle Book, which nobody in the production knew. He had to tell them, they're like, isn't it great, great to be part of the Disney family? He's like, I've been part of the Disney family since, like, the 1950s. And they were like, Surprise, what? motherfuckers! <laughs> I know your life. Um, Ursula is based on the drag performer Divine, because everything is drag, and I love it, and Ariel is based on a young Alyssa Milano. I totally see it as soon as Absolutely. Because Alyssa Milano was 50% oh, eyes. Those eyes. Ugh. Ugh. Slay me. Jody Benson recorded Part of Your World in the dark to get, like, an underwater grotto, like, feeling, which... Oh, and they wanted to cut Part of Your World from the movie. They initially did, because... They thought it was too slow, and that, like, kids would be bored by mm-hmm. it, and they said literally in the filming, like, he was sitting next to a kid, and a kid dropped his entire popcorn bucket and didn't notice until the end of the song. And he's like, oh, we can't cut this. And I'm like, well, duh. Absolutely. Well, duh. It was the last Disney movie to use hand-painted cells. It used over a thousand colors, 1,100 backgrounds, and over one million drawings. Every single bubble is hand-drawn. And I'm going to touch on that hand-drawn animation in just a moment. Every single bubble is hand-drawn, guys. It, um... They actually bought the rights of Little Mermaid back in 1941, but they didn't have the animation uh, prowess to make it the way Disney wanted it. So they kind of waited until the technology came along to do a lot of the underwater stuff. And it won an Oscar for Best Original Song and Best Score. Um, Under the Sea is often compared to the song from Little Shop of Horrors, Somewhere That's Green. Both were written by Mencken. Absolutely. So he nicknamed the song Somewhere That's Dry. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking... Love it. Done. Okay. Now let's bomb it up for the sequel. Alrighty. Here we go. The movie sins that I am delighted to share with the Stupid Sequels podcast. Scene one, the actual backstory. So why was this movie so highly anticipated in the first place? Because we get to meet Ariel's mother. Disney has a penchant for like introducing characters whose mothers have died. Either during the film or prior to the film. Most likely before the film. Most likely before the film. Unless we're watching Bambi, then that's traumatic. Then the whole movie is, isn't this mother great? Too bad. Joke's on you. So we actually get to see what happens to Ariel's mother. And she gets... (laughs) Okay, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. We're gonna go to the movie theater. I'm getting there, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. It's brutal. It's worse than Bambi's mom. Oh my god. It's so bad. Was excited to meet Ariel's mother because Ariel is nothing like her father, King Triton. So we get to see you where mean she gets Ariel drawn with crow's feet. <laughs> you mean an exact drawing of Ariel? An exact drawing with a thicker waist, with a thicker waist, more curves and crow's feet. Yes. that's it, guys. Uh, I was just excited to see where Ariel got her curiosity, her mischievousness, her fact, from music nowhere. talent from. From nowhere. From nowhere. Just kidding. But my biggest problem with Ariel's mother, Queen Athena, is that Jodie Benson voices her. Yes, Jodie Benson, who voices Ariel, also voices the mother. 
I mean, <sighs> I understand that the animators wanted to like hit home that Ariel is so much like her mother. I mean, down to the red hair, purple seashell bra, but green tail, green tail, <laughs> giving her the same exact voice, same voice. too much, same beating movement. the dead horse. I just, I can't. Even in the Little Mermaid two, Ariel's daughter Melody is voiced by someone other than Jodie Benson. Yeah, and I mean to be fair, Melody looks very similar to Ariel, but she's not just her face with a different hair color. Mm-hmm. She's not. Which I appreciate because a lot of times they're like, oh, that was the whole thing with Frozen. It was they're the same face with the different hair mm-hmm. colors. I just I felt borderline insulted, like as if I wouldn't recognize the voice of my childhood idol. Like, come on, guys. Jody Benson, goddess. I saw her first time live in concert when I was three years old. When I went to D twenty three, they had a bunch of like the voices of the actual princesses there, and it's so funny because most of them talk and you're like, oh, you voiced this character when you were eighteen. You sound different now. And Jody Benson at like I don't even know how old she is. It's just like, hello, I'm just, like, she still sounds like Ariel. She's still Ariel. She still sounds like Ariel. Well, now she sounds like Queen Athena. You shut your poor <laughs> mouth. Okay, oh, okay, thing that's always about me, and this is about me about the original and the sequels. Okay, so, like, clearly, like, the, like, Atlantis is, like, the thing. Like, it's the city of Atlantis. It's the ma- magical underwater city of Atlantis. But Disney's like, mm, Atlantica. Why? Put a car on it. Why? And then the king of the sea is... Poseidon, one of his sons is Triton. Why make him Triton? And then Athena is a Greek goddess who has fuck all to do with the water. Why? Ariel is a spirit in um, uh, the Tempest, Mm -hmm. but she's a wind fairy. She's not even an ocean fairy. I feel like they just threw together a bunch of Greek god names and were like, this is good enough. But, like, even if they did, like, oh, like, a minor, like, like sea deity will steal the name. I, but, like, oh, we're going to take this wind deity and name it a water name. This is how picky I am. This is what it's like to be an English major, guys. It's fucking the worst. Okay. Do we want to start this shit? Let's start this. So, we begin. <laughs> <laughs> all right so so all right let me just start can i say for a disney sequel the animation is bad but not as terrible as most disney sequels very true the animation most disney sequels in this look like they were drawn by the interns this this animation in this film was exceptionally beautiful for a sequel and for a straight to film for a straight to vhs if anything it's overly polished because you can tell they used a computer Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to touch on that. So, we return to Atlantica. There's Triton, there's Queen Athena, and all their merch. And we got a Sebastian voiceover. And we got a Sebastian voiceover. And Sebastian opens and narrates that everything is so wonderful under the sea. But it didn't used to be. But it didn't used to be. <laughs> so we start. And King Triton loves Queen Athena so much. And she is in he's, love with music. He's a big old cheerful ginger. He's a big old cheerful ginger just, just before shit hits him hard. Ginging away. And in one of the first scenes, we see Triton gift Athena a music box. And my thing is that this family really has a thing for gifting music boxes because in The Little Mermaid 2, Melody has a music box contained in a shell necklace. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, I feel like I've already seen this like music box opening and showing this magical Little Mermaid scene. Yeah, no, yeah. I've seen this already. Moving on. Disney has like, an obsession with music boxes in their sequels because in like Cinderella 2 there's a music yeah. box. Yeah, There's a thing with like, ooh, what's a plot? Music boxes! Pretty much. And the whole thing of Anastasia was the music box. Oh, I'm going to touch on that. Ooh. Oh, 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 I got this. Oh, I got this. Glenn Keane was animating the original Little Mermaid and got fired off of it. 
just fucking oh, shit, saying. Glenn Keane, come for blood. Right. So while the music box is an overused trope, it's sweet, right? It and I just want to focus on the aesthetics here. So the entirety of the movie is beautiful, hand-drawn animation, hand-painted cells. Or at least a great, a, a great approximation of. A great approximation of. And this music box is CGI. Like cheap 90s CGI. With a zoom in to a CGI and a pull back out to the hand-drawn animation. Disgusting. It's so it's it's a weird it's like Athena and Triton are like circling each other dancing and they're floating above the music box. Like there's no stand. And like everything is so clearly hand-drawn. Like the actual music box is drawn and just this figure of the two of them is this like weird overly realistic thing floating in the middle of it. It's so like you were too lazy to animate. I mean, you have to just animate it rotating once and then just copy paste it. It's not like it's so lazy. And Disney is notorious for recycling scenes, so there would have been nothing yeah. for them. Nothing. I get they we'll get wanted to recycled to, scenes. Ooh. We will. <laughs> I get that they want to, you know, embrace technology and the future of filmmaking and incorporate CGI, but to incorporate it for three seconds for a close-up of a music box absolutely destroyed the aesthetics. It's so bad. Destroyed. Okay, so they're all sitting on the rocks, Ariel and her six other sisters, and Triton and Athena, and they're like, we're having a party on the rocks, isn't this great? Pirate ship! Okay, theory, theory, because of, like, where they showed them, like, they're, like, on a little island, and there is a cove. Are they just straight up at Neverland? At Mermaid so, Cove? So, yes, I would like to touch on this because popular Because a pirate ship theory. pulls up. A pirate ship pulls up. So, I would like to title the scene, scene two, the traumatic as fuck incident. Oh my god, it's so, so sad. So, there is a popular fan theory, if you are not familiar with Disney fan theories, there is a theory that the Mermaid Lagoon, which Triton, Athena, and their children are at, is the same Mermaid Lagoon in Neverland featured in the film Peter Pan. Now, the artwork, definitely very similar, mm-hmm. probably because the art department recycles old cells of animation <laughs> from previous movies. Yep. Rather genius, efficient, and not that bad of an idea. No. But this popular theory goes on to state that the pirate ship approaching on the horizon is actually the Jolly Roger Boom. piloted by Captain Hook. Boom. Okay, and these must be the worst pirates ever because they're like, ha, ah, a, a rock full of mermaids. What should we do? Throw the grappling hooks over to catch a mermaid? No, the harp she's holding. Right? And the music. They're going for like the trinkets they left behind. They're going fuck out of the actual mermaid swimming away. And they're like, <gasps> she left a harp on the rocks. Throw a grappling Let's pull up down. this flute. We don't have any of those on land. Uh, an undersea harp. That'll be totally different. Somehow, one of Ariel's sisters has gotten her fin stuck under a rock. Oh. And Athena's like, I'm going to help my daughter. Because she's like a good person. And she's on the rock, and she sees that her music box is going to get picked up by a grappling hook. Which, no, it wouldn't. That's not how grappling hooks work at all. So she goes back for the music box. This pirate ship hits the rocks doing 90, apparently. Because, like, literally, the rock goes halfway through the boat. She is crushed the fuck out. Like, she, she's not even sushi. She's not even flounder. She is, she is a smear on that rock. And while all of this is happening, we are hit with fade to black, slow-mo cutaways between the shots. It's like, boom. And on the smashing rock. into the rocks in slow motion. In the rock. I mean, obviously, dramatic effect. But never 
in my life have I seen cutaway sequences in a Disney film. And Bizarre. Triton slow-mo. No! Bizarre as fuck. It's it's so... And it's so frustrating. Athena's death over a music box. Really? I mean... Like, she got the music box that day. Triton could have made you another one. It's not like, he gave this to me when we first fell in love. He got it to her today. And she's about to die for it. 99% sure the king of the oceans can get you another music box. It's not that hard, bitch. And not literally, the next shot after we see her getting the fuck crushed out of her is the music box on, like, the floor of the ocean, and Triton opens it up, and he's like, you're the reason my wife died, and just chucks it as far as he can with his superhuman strength, apparently. I just, it frustrates me that this traumatic incident centralizes on a trinket. Athena deserved more. The story deserved more. We deserved more. Like, if, if, okay, and here's, okay, um, here's Chelsea fixing the movie. Here's how the fuck you fix it. You see Ariel being like, oh, is that a human on their boat? I want to get closer. I want to see what it's like. And Athena's like, Ariel, you have to stay away. They're dangerous humans. She's like, but I just want to get a little bit closer. And, like, she's swimming up to the boat. And the, like, pirates are like, we're going to snatch that mermaid. And Athena, like, pushes her out of the way at the last moment. And the net lands on her. I would have much rather preferred Athena died saving her youngest daughter than saving a music box. And then we get like, and then we get like Ariel being like, I'm fascinated by humans, so I have this curiosity, and that's why her dad's always like, stay away from humans. Don't you remember what it what it caused? You almost died, and your mother fucking died. It would explain so much because honestly, like yes, humans were responsible for his wife's death, but those pirates pretty much, I'm pretty sure, all died too because they hit yeah. that rock real fucking hard. Yeah. Real fucking hard. Yeah, so the traumatic loss of Athena explains why Triton has passed a law forbidding more people from going to the surface and definitely aligns with the Little Mermaid. Yes. Except the surface ban is never addressed in the movie. No. It only addresses the ban on music. Major missed opportunity. Yeah, they're like, music is banned because of the music box. Because was the music box even playing? No, it was closed. The music box was closed. It was on closed rock. on a rock. But music caused her death. Um, no, I'm pretty sure you caused her death by getting her that music box. So you're banned. Here, Triton is despondent. I, and I can't help but to think, as a diehard musical fan that I am, of the sound of music. A widowed father seven musically inclined children in a household that forbids music because of his late beloved's passing. Sound of music. Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews. Absolutely. Okay, and can I say, the whole plot of this movie of, like, returning music back to Atlantica makes the opening sequence of the original movie, like, aww, even more, and makes Ariel even bigger of a dick. Like, Ariel, music was illegal until three years ago, and you're gonna miss- And you can't show up for your fucking concert? And you're gonna miss the concert where you get a goddamn solo? First of all, music got banned because of your ass, and now it's gonna get- it got unbanned because of your ass, and you can't even make it to the concert. But, and the the events of the original movie must happen, like, a week later. Yeah. Because Ariel is 16 in this movie, and she's 16 when all the shit happens in the movie. And they explicitly say 10 years later. So she's 6 when her mom dies? Mm-hmm. She's 6 when her mother dies. Yeah. And then we fast forward 10 years later to the present, wait, where wait, 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 wait. the majority of the film takes place. So scene three, ten years later, the present, cleverly titled by me. So Ariel and her sisters have grown up. They are young mer ladies, and they have a governess, Marina Del Rey. So, Del Rey, which 
in know, city here I know in that's California. But whenever people say Marina Del Rey, I just want someone to do like a mashup of Marina and the Diamonds and Lana Del Rey yes. and call it Marina Del Rey. And Marina Del Rey is played by Sally Fields. <laughs> Bless her heart. Sally Bless Fields. her heart. I love Sally Fields. She's so bad in this movie. But what I don't love is this Marina. So she's the governess of these seven Mer sisters. But what about Benjamin? Benjamin is a cute, pathetic little manatee. He's a giant pastel green manatee. <laughs> He's pastel green for no fucking reason. <laughs> it doesn't match the color palette of the rest of the movie. All of the other animals are normal colors. <laughs> like, if there was a, there's a purple stingray and an orange crab. No, all the rest of them are, like, fish colored. And he's this giant mint green <laughs> manatee. And he kind of looks like this guy, so I don't know, maybe he's not a good idea. It's just, I don't, I've got a manager. So you're, you're dealing with your issues, and I just, you need to deal with your anger, and I don't know, I'm just a manager. Like, his, oh my god. If we want to talk appearances, can we talk about Marina? She is this awful, awful cross between Ursula from The Little Mermaid and Yzma from The Emperor's New Groove. With, like, anglerfish fins? She's, like, not a normal mermaid. She's not a normal She's mermaid. She's got these weird, like, side hip mermaids to give her, like, peplums. It's weird. And she changes her tail, like, four times in the movie. Like, yikes. It's, I'm like, is that your magic I, She's not a witch, because she doesn't do any magic. But she can change her tail. Mm-hmm. It's weird. So, yikes. Um, this is the quote-unquote villain, and I use those quotes very liberally. So lightly. So lightly and so liberally. She pretty much does two things in the whole movie that are a dick move. Yeah, but evil, not really. There's there's one evil thing that she does, but the other thing's like, well, that's not technically illegal. It's just kind of a dick move. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, we'll get to it. Okay, so one thing I will say that I appreciate is they gave Ariel's seven sisters some actual personalities. Yes! Because in the original movie, it's like, Arista, Aquata, Adina, Adela, Alana, Aquata, and Ariel. That's all you fucking learned about them. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, here's the fucking motherfucking rundown. I see where the budget of this movie went. It went into voice actors, bitch. The sisters are voiced by Jennifer Hale, who is Cinderella in the sequel, which we already reviewed, Miss Keen on Powerpuff Girls, and Tara Strong, who is Bubbles on Powerpuff Girls, Tommy Pickles, Harley Quinn, and Raven from uh, Teen Titans, Grey Delise, who is Mandy on Billy and Mandy, Vicky on Fairly Odd Parents, and Kim Walgreen, who's from fucking Kim Possible. They got some top-notch voice actors to play the Seven Sisters, and most of them double up, so there are four actresses playing Seven Sisters. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you could have gotten seven nobodies, and you're like, we're gonna get fucking Tara Strong and Jennifer Hale fit. Like, look at any of these women's IMDb pages. They're like 700 entries long. They're amazing. It's like they were almost relying on the star power to ensure the success of this prequel, but nobody but ain't cared enough. But nobody's like, oh my god, Tara Strong plays a minor sister in this little murder. Wow, sequel. I have to go see I'm it. I'm gonna go see it. Like, that's the sad thing, is voice actors aren't usually well recognized. Like, no. if an actual celebrity voices a character, like when George Clooney did in Fantastic Mr. Fox, maybe people went to go see it, but it's like, Jennifer Hale, Jennifer Hale and Grey Delise, most people don't know who the fuck that is even though they've heard her voice a million times. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, they're all like voiced by our entire childhood, and I respect the fuck out of them for that, and they voice actors get, deserve to get paid more bitches. 
I appreciate the amount of screen time that the sisters have in this, but there is an overabundance of these like sisterly bonding moments. All we see these sisters do is brush their hair, brush their hair, have sisterly fights over who's wearing whose outfit or who's touching whose things. It's mine. It has an A on it. Aquara. We all have A names. Is my favorite fucking line of the whole film. It was the funniest line of the whole film, and that's sad because it's not that Because she's like, it's mine, it has an A on it. She's like, Adela, our names all have A's on it, and they all hold up their monogrammed shit, which all has has A's. I literally, literally cannot. I mean, it's Um, cute, it's funny, but... Are Ariel and her sisters the seven C's? I would like to think... Is Ariel the Red Sea? Because of her hair. Is her mom the, the Dead Sea? <laughs> I would like to think that that is an interesting parallel that the viewers could draw. I do not think it was the intention of the writers or the animators. I think that's something that we pieced together. But seven's just an odd number. It is an odd number. And the seven Z's is like a thing that you hear a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was on purpose. I would love to get confirmation on that. I want it. I would love confirmation. Too bad the entire original team is dead. dead. Except for so, Jody Benson. Except for Jody Benson, and she I would love her and to Alan confirm a lot of things. So, okay, this Marina. Before I start talking about... I literally say she runs the house at the Sound of Music. I literally run oh, the house oh, at the Sound okay, of Music. Oh, okay, okay. So, so, before we get into Sound of Music, I would like to make an observation about another reference. So, mm-hmm. obviously, this Marina Del Rey has a disdain for her job governing these Mer sisters that would rival Miss Hannigan of Annie. How did she get the job? Why did she get the job? If she hates children so much, why did she become the governess of seven sisters? She clearly wasn't there when Athena died. Why did he hire a nanny? They all seem... Uh, ugh, so many questions. Just... 100%. I'm seeing Miss Hannigan in Marina and The Sound of Music in <laughs> the state of the household between the father, governess, and children. Also, when we first meet Marina Del Rey, I just laugh every time oh, hearing her name. It just sounds like Lana Del Rey. I can't. I am very angry at the direct quote ripoff from The Little Mermaid. So in The Little Mermaid, Ursula helps more people with her magic. And she says, this is what I live for. And Marina goes on boasting about how much she loves looking after these girls. Lying, obviously. And says, this is what I live for. Exact quote ripoff. First thing I heard of, literally, this is the worst, second-rate Ursula knockoff type villain. Because they couldn't even come up with a new villain. She's not evil. She doesn't have magic. Uh, uh, mm. She's the worst villain ever because she does nothing. Absolutely nothing. Honestly, she really does nothing. Okay, so Sebastian runs everything, apparently. He's like palace chief of staff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get a full title. Attaché um, is the term they use in the movie. Attaché. Attaché. So they're all like, let's go on our morning walk through the kingdom. Oh, my God. oh swim, morning swim. And they're like, just like, swim in a perfect little military line. And Ariel, like, plucks a piece of seaweed and starts, like, tickling her sister when it because she's so crazy, guys. She's tickling her sister. Oh. And they start to fight because those sisters are in the fight. They're playing around in their seaweed and they're so cute. And Literally, they play with seaweed. One of them bumps into the other one. Who bumps into the other one? Who bumps into the other one? And then they're like, oh, let's get back in line before Dad notices. And then it's like, Ariel, princesses don't play with seaweed. Okay. Just the writing here is... Di- I can't keep up. What's happening? 
Because I saw Ariel play with seaweed, and then her dad told her, don't play with seaweed. And she's like, how'd you see that? It's all very forced. They have this idea in their head that after the loss of Athena, Triton has lost all sense of warmth and emotional availability, and they're trying to make it as if he's running a military regime, and they're trying too hard to drill that point across. We could just leave it with Triton being emotionally distant and just being like, not I really miss my wife. I can't look at my daughters because they look too much like Athena. Like, I especially can't look at Ariel because she looks just that like her. That would have been much God, easier. Why didn't they play that up? And just like, Ariel, like, Dad, why don't you ever spend time with me? He's like, you just look too much like They, like, they could have invested in Triton's emotional development rather than try to make Atlantica a military, military state. state. So, yeah. Alrighty. Scene four. The villain, villain in quotation marks, lightly, liberally. So, Marina has a villain song titled One Mistake. And it's bad. And it is so bad, she's singing to her manatee henchman Benjamin that Sebastian needs to make one mistake so that Triton will fire him and Marina can have his job as attache. That's her whole motivation, guys. That's it. She wants someone else's job. That's it. She wants a promotion. That's it. That's her master... Not, I'm going to fuck it up and make it look like Sebastian has done a bad job. I'm going to do an employee review and point out his mistakes. That's just a dick move by HR. See, Ursula wanted control of all the seven seas. Marina just wants to be an intern and a raise. So. That's it. That's her great villain plan. I'm going to find an actual mistake he made and point it out to his boss. And this song, instead of being a villainous song... It's a fashion montage. I literally cannot comprehend what I watched. In which she changes tails <laughs> and wigs and outfits. She has like a French, a stereotypical French outfit striped shirt and beret. Is it because Ursula was based on Divine and they were trying to make her a drag queen too? I want to put reason to this. I want to say that's the reason why. I give these movies too many, much credit. I really do. I really, I really want there to be that much reason and that much rhyme for how these things are done, but, uh... There's not. There's not. And this song, not only is it more of a fashion montage than a statement of villainous intent, the lyrics, the melody, I literally could not hum to you a single part of the song. I could not recall a single lyric. The word pathetic is in my notes. Literally, this is the only full-length song in this film. Yeah. And that's it. Everything else is a cover or a reprise. Everything else is a reprise, a tiny little throwback to an earlier song. It's just, it's so disappointing that this is the original work. Even Athena's song, which is the song in the music, the, the bright blue endless sky... We never hear the full song. Mm-mm. We hear like a verse of it, and we hear it hummed, and we hear it played in the music box, and then Ariel reads. And every time she's it. like remembering her mother, it like plays faintly in the background. Mm-hmm. But we don't get a full song. Mm-mm. Does Ariel get a full song in this movie? Ariel no. does not have a full song in this movie. I will touch on that later. But she has a reprise based on Athena's theme called "I." I remember. remember. I remember. Just. Absolutely disappointing. 
Poor, unfortunate Marina. So, Ariel's punishment for tickling her sister with seaweed is she's got to scrape all the barnacles. Ugh. Off of the thing? I don't know. Uh, and she sees Flounder, who's the fucking badass in this movie, for no god. Oh! Do you, do you remember Flounder, whose, like, sole personality trait is that he's a big, fat, scaredy cat? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know, Ariel, it seems like a bad idea. Fun fact, in this one, he's running a fucking speakeasy. Surprise, motherfucker! So, Flounder's a badass! As we segue into scene five, characters we already know, and a chase sequence we have already seen. So, for no goddamn reason. Reintroducing Flounder, we already know, no backstory needed. First of all, in the animated show, they meet when he is actually a guppy. A guppy! And he's abandoned by his family, a la Dory, and that's why he's such a big fat security cat, and Ariel's like, I'll be your family. That's why it's so fucking adorable. Tears. Literal tears. God damn it. So, we see him, and he's just like, bee-bopping, scatting, a little weird, and a little anachronistic. Like, bebop is like a little out of place. I don't know. It's just... He's trying to do jazz. It's noise. Anyways, this noisy fish. And he's drumming on shit. And he's drumming on corals, like they're marambas. Similar to a Spongebob sequence. What's with all the Spongebob? Jellyfish jam, anyone? Stolen. This whole movie is just Spongebob. So it's a SpongeBob Super Bowl episode. Literally, <laughs> literally. So obviously, this music thing is a no go. Sadly, it's they illegal. Don't, they don't cover "Sweet Sweet Victory." Ugh, right. And Flounder is cornered by Swordfish, which I guess are the police force. They're the Gestapo of Atlantica. It's just is a little on the nose, guys. It's just a little on the nose. I, I can talk about Gestapo. I'm German, guys. It's fine. I would have made it Whitefish personally. Ah, hey. So, anyways. Ah, obviously they are doing illegal things and flounder runs away hey listeners real quick real quick if you're like oh my god she's getting political here's a quick little guide if you are a trump supporter fuck right off and turn off my podcast end of note okay that's all there's no two okay no (laughs) i'm pretty much cool with anybody else those just one those of you who didn't vote i'm like kind of pissed off at you i can get over it if you voted for trump you you can fuck right the fuck off. Right. Right the fuck off. Bye-bye. I'll miss you never. Bye. <laughs> so into this Gestapo swordfish chase. So Flounder and Ariel start swimming away. But while swimming away, Flounder gets stuck in a small little hole in a rock. And he says, not again, before Ariel pushes him out again. So Flounder gets stuck in a, in a tiny porthole. In a sunken ship in the Little Mermaid 1. But isn't this supposed to take place before the events of Little Mermaid 1? Yeah. So what exactly is Flounder referencing here? It doesn't make sense for the character or their reality. It's entirely for the audience to recall back to the previous film. Unless it's like a joke like Flounder's been getting caught in things since he was a small child because he's a fat fish. Is it a fat joke? Oh, is it a fat joke? Oh my god. It's a fat joke. Oh, stop. Anyway, so pretty much the exact same chase sequence that we saw in The Little Mermaid 1, but instead of it being a tiger shark, it's swordfish. I just, I've seen this before. The name of the shark in the original is Glut. (laughs) (laughs) His name is Glut. I can't. Anyway, so that entire scene, I just, I sat there and I'm like, I've seen this. I've lived through this. I'm having deja vu. So there's just so much... Yes, they stole from other films and their own films. other stories, and then their own films. I, I mean, I appreciate recycling and I appreciate I calls mean, back. But they steal from Dog Days Night. 
later on in the film based off from Dante. Pretty much. Anyways. So cut to all the sisters are primping. This is all. We see the sisters walking around the palace and we see the sisters in their bedroom brushing their hair. Scene six, back at the palace. Um, so they're all, there's the best joke in the whole movie about all their names starting with A's. It's the best joke in the whole goddamn movie, guys. Um, and they're all, they all tell her, like, they all tell Ariel, like, nothing's gonna change. Just stop trying to, like, be, like, stop trying to change shit. Stop trying to be different. Dad's gonna be a dick forever. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and Ariel sees Flounder sneaking around the gardens. Okay, sorry, why does any fish have to sneak? <laughs> I don't know. Couldn't you just swim above where the palace is, where there I aren't tortoises patrolling, or around in literally any direction because it's water? Is there gravity in a structured palace? Is there gravity in the hallways of this It's like when there's a blockade in a Star Wars movie. I'm like, go above or behind them. Like, it's really fucking easy. And she sneaks off her balcony by swimming off of it. She's like, there's a moment where she looks over and she's like, huh, it's really high. I'm like, you're swimming! <laughs> you're swimming! It literally doesn't matter if it's literally a thousand feet in the air because you're swimming. There is a serious fall. lack of logic in this film, more so than other sequels or prequels. It's just ridiculous. It's it's so bad. So where is Flounder sneaking off to? So, he sings his own theme music, like Crunk in Emperor's New Groove. You Boom. know he does. Boom! Absolutely. So, which brings us to, where is Flounder going? So, Ariel follows him, and Flounder leads her into a cave that looks fairly identical to Ursula's. And at this point, it's becoming more and more clear that this movie was originally intended to serve as backstory for Ursula, but the creative team dropped midway through the production. They would have been better off to explore Ursula's backstory because I'm interested in that. I'm 100% interested in that. What if instead of Marina, it was just straight up Ursula and this is what gets her banished to the sea caves? I would love to see a younger Ursula and the falling out that she and Triton had. Well, because the falling out in the original, they say it's because Ursula killed Ariel's mother, which apparently they completely ignore in this fucking movie. Because that's not important at all, right guys? No. Anyways, so they are swimming through this cave. There's there's some security in this. There's cave. some security, security in scene seven, the Catfish Club. So Ariel and Flounder, which is a reference to the Kit Kat Club, all which is a reference to the Kit Kat Club. You non musical theater initiated assholes. <laughs> and Sebastian does a straight Bob Fosse pose with a bowler hat. I was like, yeah, oh, absolutely. So Ariel and Flounder enter into this underground speakeasy club where Sebastian is here singing. Shake, 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 shake Sonora. Shake your body right. Which I'm sorry is, I'm sorry, once Beatles just took that song, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, this song belongs to Beetlejuice, guys, mm-hmm. now no one else can use it. It's the Beetlejuice song. And of course there had to be a Rock Lobster reference, which there was, caught that, and all of the animation of the people in the club is just animation from Under the Sea. Correct. They recycled animation cells from the Under the Sea. And, okay, there's a joke that you will only get if you know the lyrics really well. Okay, fun fact, guys. Ariel and, and Ariel and I, <laughs> Francis and I were in a production of The Little Mermaid this summer. Francis played, uh, I almost said Sebastian. Scuttle. He played Scuttle. It was a great little tap number, and I played one of the maids. 
Um, toss, toss. Fun fact, that song under the sea is a lot fucking harder than you think it is when you include harmonies. Like, the new plays the flute, the cart plays the heart, the bass play the bass, and they sound the start, the smelt and the smack, they know where it's at, the flute is the duke of soul, the rain yeah. the lanes on the strings, the charm rocking out, the blackfish sings, the, the, okay, it's really fucking hard. So there's a part where Sebastian comes into the palace, this is earlier on, and he goes, ugh, the smelt and the sprat, they, they're really having issues. So, like, there is a callback to Under the Sea. I just had to get to that because I feel like unless you know those lyrics really well, you wouldn't have noticed it. So it's like, it's like, oh, there's the blackfish singing. There's the starfish doing cartwheels. There's those two New greenfish m- mamboing. Newts are not undersea creatures, though. Which bugs me. So it's just all of the animation from under to the sea, but to the tempo of Shake, 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 Sonora. Now what bothers me here, instead of composing an original jamming musical number like Under the Sea was they were such too a lazy. They were too lazy, and they stole Jump in Line, Shake, 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 Sonora, which was a hit Calypso song by Lord Kitchener, even and if also featured done, in Beetlejuice. Even if they'd done Shake, Sonora and just rewritten the lyrics to be like underwater themed, I would have given, been cute. I would have given them credit for that. I would have given them mad credit for that. I would have been happier if they just sang Rock Lobster. I would have loved if they sang Rock Lobster. But then I would have faulted them for Sebastian being a crab and not a lobster. <laughs> so anyways, Ariel sneaks in, watching this all go down. Upon discovering her presence, the musicians scramble and hide. And Ariel... The octopus does an ink bomb to disappear into, which I was like, yes! And Ariel comes on in, and she's picking up the instrument, and she sings a tiny version of Athena's theme called I Remember. And she sings it for literally 30 seconds and all these people are like, we're gonna get fucking lynched by her father. He's like, oh, she's a good singer. We're probably good. Yeah, so... <laughs> Immediately come out. Negative is that it's so short, you blink and you miss it, but a plus for Jody Benson because she's fabulous. So, musicians realize Ariel's not a threat. She loves music. She's not gonna tell her father. She's not there to bust them. So they continue. Cut back to Triton. Triton! Triton's like, there's a problem with Ariel. She seems different. Marina, I, uh, like, Marina, you're clearly not covering it. Sebastian, I want you to watch over Ariel. And Sebastian's like, clearly know what's up with her. Okay, it's because she misses it, you dickhole. Okay, and, like, the reveal of Sebastian being the leader of this underground social club thing is completely ignored in the original, then. Because oh, absolutely. in the original, Sebastian is straight-laced, straight-laced, and straight-laced, and Flounder is scared little dipshit. And in this movie, they're both, like, the leaders of the underground music rebellion. Ah, hey, like, Flounder, hey, what's up? Remember that time we saved music? Hey, Sebastian, yeah, that was fucking tight. Like, what? There are just what? huge inconsistencies between the characters in between the different films. I would say that not one character is congruent to who they are in The Little Mermaid. No. Triton, completely different. Sebastian, different. Flounder, different. Ariel, I really, really, really want to like Ariel in this film. But she is whiny. She is disrespectful. Her her spirit and her creativity and her lust for life, and I don't see any of that. I'm literally the only line she has after they're like, okay, this music club is a secret. Don't tell anyone. She's like, okay, Next scene with her sisters. Guys, they went to this crazy upside down, like, secret music club. Do you guys want to come? <laughs> Bitch. Really? Mm-hmm. You couldn't keep it a secret. A okay. day. So. A day. 
Would Open her big fat mouth. Could not keep this shit a secret. Obviously, her sisters have she's to come and check it out. She's singing in her room. She's like, na 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 na. She's singing Shake Sonora, I think, and her sisters are like, mm-hmm. "Are you singing? That's fucking illegal." She's like, "I forgot." Like, you dumb bitch. Like, goddamn it. If I was her sisters, I'd hate her too. Right. So sisters roll through en masse to this kit. Cat. Catfish Club! They're like, Ariel, you can't sing. She's like, but guys, when I sing, it reminds me of mom. Oh, and they're God. like, oh, uh, music. No, like, no, no. So, she brings her sisters in so they can see what is up with this awesome underground club. And they see Sebastian and lose their They see Sebastian and lose their mind. shit. Honestly, it's probably the equivalent of when my students come out in public and see me. <laughs> And they're like, wow, Miss Leanne, what are you doing out in public? Nothing, go away. <laughs> Nothing, go away. So, like, Adela is, like, all about, she's, where are the boys? I want boys. I need boys. Aquatic can't, um, aquatic can't dance. Footloose. Arista is, like, all oh, the instruments. I want to play the guitar. I want to play the strings. I want to play the harp. I want to, they're like, yeah. It's so cute. Um, Marina has followed them somehow through the three layers mm-hmm. of security and is, like, holy shit, they're in a music club. Holy shit, Sebastian runs this club? Great, I can get his job. That's one mistake. Here's my thing. That's her villain plan, guys. Here is my thing. An employee review. She follows them to the club, one. How did she get to the club? Two, how did she know the secret whistle to get into the speakeasy? Speakeasies have passwords, for those of you not savvy to the speakeasy world. Like the blind rabbit. Like the blind rabbit. So how did she know where to go? the password to get in, who the fuck let her in? And then, not only does Marina show up to bust Sebastian and the girls, Triton shows up. And just like that, everyone is busted and thrown in jail, you know, save for his daughters. And then, they say it's the next, it's (laughs) it's the next night. They're like, I'm so glad to be back, blah, blah, blah. And then the guards bust in. So it is a full day later. A full day later. So Ariel has gone to this club three nights and it's fucking ruined. Great job, Ariel. You ruined everything. Literally ruined. Because when Triton shows up, he destroys this cave club thing, okay. which is just like he destroys her treasure trove cave in The Little Mermaid. This movie is 70 minutes long, like an hour and 10 minutes. This is minute 30. I'm like, this movie is clipping along so goddamn fast. Okay, that's, this is the main conflict of the movie, guys. There's a secret club. Try to found the secret club. What is there to do? They keep creating additional problems just to solve them a few minutes later. They do. It's fucking ridiculous. And I'm just like, damn, Triton, how many caves you gonna destroy? For real. For real. So, Marina gets Sebastian's job. Scene eight, Marina gets what she wants. Gets everyone arrested. The sisters only get sent home because there's nepotism and police brutality even in Atlantica. Why weren't they arrested? Why? Huh? 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 Bullshit. Huh. Um, he's Triton, blows it all up, blows the two shit. Um, he tells his sister, like, you, you're all confined to the palace, music is banned. Ariel's like, but why? But why? But why? And then this is her this is her giant monologue, Dad. I may not remember much about my mother, but I knew she wouldn't have wanted this. Ugh. No. Way to evoke the spirit of your dead mother. By whining. By whining over a nightclub. I don't see her mother in this. I don't see the Ariel I know from The Little Mermaid in this. I don't know what happened to her. And literally her sisters go, Ariel, that was too far. Yeah. too. I just, I don't relate now, to Ariel at all. And now no one is happy. And I don't like her one bit. And She's that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to say, because I always considered, oh, I'm Ariel. 
So then oh, we, fuck. Then we smash cut to Marina just <laughs> feeling her oats. She's, she's like, trying on her fancy outfits. She tries to do the little mermaid, like, part of your world on the rock. But she did what happened to all of us the first time we have that. She gets bitch slapped by a wave. And it's like, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Um, just, oh, it was self-parody there. Absolutely. We get a, we get a two-second scuttle thing. And she's like, get the fuck. She's like, part of your Get the fuck away from me. It. It's it's a little bit funny. It sucks because like the two funniest things in this movie are purely visual, so I can't drop them in. Mm-hmm. Google them, guys. Right? Or watch the movie. It's an hour. It clips the fuck along. So at this point, Marina sings a reprise of One Mistake, and same lyrics, sung in the same light. There's no different feel to this song. No. Except this time the song is about wanting more. First time was it about I want. Second time it is now about more. And as we all know in musical theater, the I Want song is usually by the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Not congruent. Also, wait, don't we know of another song in the Little Mermaid universe where a character sings about wanting more? Hmm. Been there, I done that. Know. Don't you dare touch part of your world does or she, show help me. Does she want to be where the people are? Does she want to see, want to see them Dancing? Not if she's busting them at the catfish club, she don't. Strong along on that. What's that word again? Plagiarism. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> okay, I will say, I will say, there is a moment. Once she is about finished with this song, she's tried on her costume, she's twirling around the room, this is her jam. Uh, Delivery Fish arrives with a message and asks <laughs> Benjamin how long... <laughs> Has Marina been in charge? And Benjamin replies, going on seven minutes. Oh, Done. my fucking <laughs> just It was Benjamin's delivered so well. straight man. He's like, about seven minutes. It's so Benjamin, this, this, this guy, he has these tiny, tiny little phrases throughout the entire movie. And I just... They're not particularly poignant or important in but any way. But just played against her, like, But just crazy. played against her. I oh I God. love it. I just... So now we go to the fucking treasure trove of we're going to steal every trope we can. So all of the creatures from the Catfish Club are in jail. The Ray has a ball and is, like, throwing it against the wall, like, in every jail movie ever. The turtle has a file and is trying to, like, file them. Okay, those are two, like, pretty, like, general jail things. The fish is digging a hole behind a poster, a la Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Hey, kids, have you seen Shawshank? No. Great. We're going to put this reference in anyway. That's the thing. These references, I feel, were put in for the adults because no kid would have caught these references. And then the stick, the octopus starts chanting, ah! Atlantica. He's like, Atlantica, Atlantica. Which, if you haven't seen it, is it Dog Day Afternoon? It's Dog Day Afternoon and he starts chanting, Attica, Attica, about the Attica prison riots. So then, what kid would get this joke? I can't. And then, back to logic, the octopus is like, gotta get out the walls, they're closing in, there's no space, no air. Octopus is going to fit through the holes the size of a quarter. Motherfucker, you do not breathe air. That too. Dead. But literally, nothing drives me more nuts in a movie than when a character is still clearly standing between two bars, which are wide enough for them to step through with a little room to shimmy, and they're like, I'm trapped in this cave. Also, like, Sebastian is literally like swinging between the bars, could get out anytime he wants. 
They do redeem themselves when one of the guys suggests that Sebastian can slip through them and pick the lock. So, I mean, plus there, but they should have landed at that sooner. Much sooner. The octopus could have gotten out. Sebastian could have gotten out. I Not well thought through. And also, this club is, like, packed full of people when it gets raided. These four are apparently the only ones who got arrested. Right? Where did all these other people go? They were, um... Killed in a mass execution. Stop! <laughs> no, no! They're in mass graves behind the palace. Oh, fuck, man, don't. That's why the Coral Garden was so colorful that year. Oh, oh, I would like to point out a parallel that I found out all by myself. Back in scene nine, sad Ariel is sad because her dad destroys what she likes. <gasps> I literally so- wrote Ariel is sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we watched the same movie. Like, this is all, like, there's literally a scene of just Ariel. Being sad. So this fade to sad montage scene of Ariel sitting by her window and she's plucking a flower. Flashback to Ariel plucking a flower in the he loves me. He loves, he loves me. Not. Not. He loves me. me. Then Ariel decides to sneak out and run off. Leaves a flower on her pillow before leaving her bedroom. Seems pointless, right? And apparently this flower is some kind of like signal. Mm-hmm. Because upon further thought, I realize that this is apparently supposed to, keyword, supposed to parallel the scene of Mulan leaving the flower hairpin for her father as she runs off to join the military on his behalf. But this is nowhere near close to that because for this one flower thing, has no significance? Also, there's no significance to the flower. Does Trent even know what's for him? And then this is not an act of love or selflessness or honor. This is just... And it's a flower from I'm the palace gardens. It's not like... This is a flower from the outskirts of Atlantica because that's where I'm fucking going. There's no yeah. like symbolic it's just significance. A flower. There's no there's no <laughs> there's no reason for her to leave this particular flower. There's just a little too much significance in something that is very Insignificant. So Ariel rolls into jail and immediately breaks him the fuck out because she's like, I'm gonna smack this lock with a rock. Boom! Scene 10. Cool. Busted musicians in jail make a plan. And the creatures are all like, fucking bye. And Sebastian's like, no, if we stay here, then we won't get in trouble. And they're like, we're gonna be in trouble no matter what, uh, aiding to my masquerade execution plan. Um, and Flounder is singing his own sneaky music again as he sneaks out of the prison. Scene 11. Squad sneaks across the sea. And they're sneaking across a flat, empty nothing. They're like, we gotta be quiet. I'm like, there's nothing for you to hide behind, in front of, under. If they see you, you're fucking caught. And Flounder cannot shut the fuck up. No. He's constantly making this, like, musical gibberish noise. And he's like Bam Bam from the Flintstones. He just cannot shut the fuck. Not doing himself justice. Not doing Bam Bam justice. And also, Flamin wasn't particularly musical in the original. No, so it's like he lost his musical talent between the prequel and the original. Um, what? So Marina is like sitting next to Triton on her little like attaché chair. <gasps> this. And she does the little thing where she like cranks the bottom of the chair. Like, like it's an office chair. So she's higher than Triton. She's like, uh-huh. small thing. She's like, isn't everything better? Better than things with Sebastian? Isn't this great? And Triton's like, I don't know. Maybe I went too far. Yeah, right. You yeah, got yeah, the issues. And so. Adele is like, um, so, um, Daddy, everything's great. We love this, like, you know, prison rules. Um, Ariel's gone. Surprise! Because we live in a palace that doesn't have windows, and we can swim because we're fish. There's literally no way to confine us anywhere. 
fish. <laughs> I'm gonna put her at the top of the tallest tower. She's gonna swim the fuck down. I... What? I don't think anyone thought through the whole sneaking out thing. No. I just... I feel like... The act of a fish sneaking in itself is stupid. It is just... And I'll say it, guys. I'm gonna say something. It's gonna be controversial. The whole thing is Ariel has the world's greatest singing voice. You can't hear underwater. Yeah. Yeah. About that. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. I'm just going to ruin an entire series of movies. You can't hear Right, absolutely. Anything. Just all of your underwater fish fantasies have instantly been crushed. Ruined! So, this Marina, she's got what she wanted, and she, like, returns to her living quarters, and she has motherfucking electric eels. Apparently, eels are evil in Look any universe. Look at this evil lady with eels at her bidding. This is Ursula. This is 100% Ursula, and they just changed the character halfway into production. And also, I fucking love this, because at one point, like, Benjamin is, like, getting shit ready for her, she's like... Did you get my breakfast? He's like, uh-huh. He's like, are the girls in the room? Uh-huh. He's like, do you have the key? He goes, uh-huh. And he lifts his head. And there's the key! And her key is, like, tucked in his neck fast. And he's like, got <laughs> it. Because he's a manager, so he's just he's giant. He's so fast. So she comes back and she's like, give me the key! He's like, you told me not to give it to you in times of anger. She's like, I'm not angry! I just want to check on them. And then he's like, I just really think I should keep it. And then she's like, is that? And she, like, points, and he, like, turns his head and lifts his neck, and she's like, snatch! And gets the key from him. Worst tension ever. And they're electric eels, because eels are apparently evil in any version of the sea. This movie just shits on swordfish, sharks, and eels. <laughs> also, why couldn't the shark talk? Yeah. Can you imagine how much scarier it would be? Because I'm gonna get you! Like, because in The Little Mermaid 2, Undertow, the shark talks. Shark talks. So why can't <gasps> Glut talk? You know what would been fucking funny? Mm. In Finding Nemo, when they're having the Sharks Anonymous meeting, and it's like, I'm Bruce, I'm Bruce, I'm Glut, I'm Glut. Oh, I would have loved that. It would have been such a simple cameo for, like, diehard Disney fans who would have, like, loved it. I would appreciate a crossover from straight Disney into Pixar. That would have been, that would have been phenomenal. Anyways, so. So she's like, Marina's like, fuck, I'm going to take care of Sebastian and Ariel and make it look like an accident. This is the first act of villainy. Because she's like, okay, even if I do get Ariel back here, she's going to keep causing problems. So I'll just take care of her. And this is an afterthought. That's a far... You got the job. Now the job's going to be hard, and you're like, I should murder a child. And a crab. <laughs> While I'm at it. While I'm at it, I'll just cut it off. That's, this is her one act of villainy, guys. She's going to murder the two. She went from HR review... To murder. Just and it's delivered in such an underhanded manner you don't even realize it unless you're really She's listening. Like, go, my eels, see them, see if you can find them, anywhere you can go. Oh, and if they die, it's an accident. Next scene! Like <laughs> that's how much it's I feel like the writers were not directly committed to that. She just admitted so, to murder. So they just kinda like snuck it in there. Implied it. No, like and, and if something it. happens, well, that was just an accident. Like just implied. Okay, so Ariel is they Ariel and the other fishes musicians fishes and uh, uh, um they come into a big empty nothing 
Scene 13. Squad is definitely lost in the middle of nowhere. And, and they're all like, what the fuck is this? And Sebastian's like, it's perfect. I'm like, huh? And he's like, there's more to this place than meets the eye. I'm like, oh, okay. And then Ariel sees something like glinting in the distance. And she swims. And it's a giant cavern full of diamonds? Glass? Crystal? It's highly reflective, whatever the fuck it is. This entire, like, canyon is made of, like, super sparkly reflective shit. She's, like, looking at herself. She's like, oh, oh, my, it's so sparkly. I'm like, is this what was more to meets the eye? It's mirrors? Is she going to take a good long look at herself and realize? No! It's the music box, guys. Surprise! She finds the music box. She opens it. She's like, I I remember this. I remember mom. I remember love. Like, you were six. You weren't a baby. Once upon a December, friends. Do you not remember your mom? And she's saying, we finally get the full version of I Remember. Which doesn't make sense. Because the song is like, I remember what it was like back when I used to be happy. And her mom used to sing it to her when they were happy. It don't... uh, It'd be like if in Sound of Music, they sing Edelweiss, and he's like, oh, this would be my wife's song. Like, it would make... It's a song about a funeral flower. Like, it wouldn't make any goddamn sense. I just... The overused trope of the music box being able to recall lost memories. Definitely Anastasia in Once Upon a December. And then... Where everything is explained to her, and then she remembers everything that had been lost up until this second. Conveniently. Conveniently recalled. I mean, we should just take music boxes to the Alzheimer's patients. They'll be fucking fine. Mm-hmm. And then Sebastian says this line, which I was like, this is about to get really dark, and then it wasn't. And he's like, um, Athena was more than just your mother. She was, I'm like, or this is when we find out that, like, Triton and Athena were brother and sister. Um, like, oh, no, 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 no. And he's like, she was also his best friend. I'm like, oh, barf. Like, she was his best friend. TBH, I thought he was going to say he was, uh, she was his muse. <laughs> I, I literally thought it was going there, but... But it's like, he was more than just your mother. She was also Triton's best friend. Literally the pause is that big. I'm like, fuck built Cringy. to nothing. Cringy. Also, obviously, CGI music box is still obviously CGI. So ugly. And so they're like, oh my god, the whole palace used to be full of music and laughter. And he's like, when... And this is Sebastian's little model. He's like, when your mother died, the whole kingdom was heartbroken. But your father's heart never healed. Also, how did Sebastian know where Triton threw the box and where it eventually landed? Yep. If Sebastian knew the whole time where the music box was, why didn't he go to retrieve it, maybe take Triton to go see it in hopes that he might change his mind? It's a long walk to nowhere, guys. It is a long so, walk to And nowhere. I really write down. So basically, Ariel figures out Sebastian led her to it on purpose so Ariel can return the music box to Triton and he'll be happy about music. Seems like a lot of effort to go through when he could have just gotten it himself. Pretty much! So, Flounder, Sebastian, and Ariel are heading back to the palace, and the other fifth musicians are like, can't risk it, dude. Triton gets pissed really easy. We're gonna be high. And they run into the eels. And the eels are just, like, blindly murdering. Just like, ah, I'm gonna eat everyone, and they get away, and they're swimming away. Ariel gets Flounder to tie them in a knot, a la Tarzan with the snake. 
Boom! You're stealing animation from literally everything! Scene 14, defeating the villain, villain in quotation marks. And it's not even the villain, it's the villain's henchman. So um, this now is the very, very, very anticlimactic defeat of this is the villainous parties. Okay, so Marina at one point gets wedged in a piece of coral because she's like, trying to get Sebastian and Sebastian goes Like well. a tubey piece of coral. Yeah, so she's like wrapped in it like like a tube. And she's at the top of like a cliff somehow. Oh my god. And Ariel and Sebastian are hugging in the middle of this big empty field. And Marina goes to throw herself off the cliff to squish the fuck out of Sebastian. Torpedo style. And Ariel's like, no! And pushes Sebastian out of the way and gets just like bumped lightly. She doesn't get squished. You just see her and she's like, uh huh. And it's not like, oh my god, she hit her head. Is she okay? I'm like, first of all, Sebastian could have taken a step to the left or right and he would have been fine. Ariel could have just pushed Marina because she's just floating down because they're in water, people. And Ariel gets thrown 20 feet across this open field, clutching the music box to her chest and like goes like over a cliff into a ravine, all in slow motion. I just acted all of that out for you, by the way, on my couch. Liam got a show. Absolutely, I did. So they all swim down into this crevice to see like, if Ariel's okay. Is Ariel dead? No, because this is a prequel. We have two more movies to go, people. Okay, this is what drives me nuts. In prequels, when they try to put the main character in danger, I'm like, I'm never going to be concerned for their safety. Ever. Okay, is anybody watching Gotham still? Stop. It's not getting any better. So literally, the whole premise of the show is like, Gotham before Batman. So like, Bruce Wayne is like an 8-year-old boy or a 12-year-old boy. Like, every other episode, Bruce Wayne is kidnapped or captured or dangled over a pit of acid or being threatened by a mugger and I'm like well he's not gonna die cause he's Batman I'm literally never worried about Bruce Wayne stop threatening him and it always seems to be the trope in Disney sequels of like oh, and then what if they almost die they're not going to ever unless you have a child and you haven't watched the Little Mermaid movies in chronological order, in which case you're the worst parent ever. Your kid's gonna know that they're okay. It's, it's, so, and he sees the music box and he's like, oh, your mother. And she's like, daddy would have, daddy and mommy would have missed the music. And he's like, you're right. Problem resolved. That's it. Whole movie. Resolved. So convenient that as the music box tumbles open and starts playing the music, she regains consciousness. Daddy? I think I'm feeling better. Too, too cliched, a little too convenient for me. I don't like convenient. So, we have Ariel regaining consciousness and she's uh -huh. safe. We have Triton changing his mind about his How did Triton fucking find Sebastian and Ariel in the middle of this field far away from Atlantica in this... How the fuck do we know? Because we know Sebastian didn't tell him that he was out there because he ran away. We know Marina didn't tell him because he was going to be looking at an accident. We don't know if the sisters knew where it was. Was it Benjamin? No, because Benjamin gets put the fuck in jail with Marina. Ha! Okay, and then there's this moment at the end of the movie where I'm like, was the music box more than we thought it was? Because there's like a statue of Triton and Athena mm -hmm. in the middle of the palace and it's like got like ivy growing all over it like mm -hmm. oh it's overgrown it's so sad and he takes the music box and he puts it at the foot of the statue 
and the whole statue like turns to gold and like all of the palace fills with like plants and life and music i'm like did they do what i like to call a rare ahead of time ripoff was that music marks the heart of defeating because it restores life to Atlantica. Mm, good point, good point. The fuck? <laughs> okay, all it had to do was, like, he puts the music box at the base of the statue, and then he takes his, I don't know, magic trident and thrusts that into the ground, and then, like, it's returned to goodness. But no, they make it look like the, the music box is also the magic box and restored Atlantica. I feel like Triton doesn't utilize the power of his trident. Ever. He, like, he, he blows up the catfish club. That's he it. blows up caves, and that's kind of it. Just in terms of who Triton is and what the trident of Poseidon is. I just feel that it's very underused. There could have been more. Minor, minor thing. Anyway, so what actually happened to Marina? Is she dead? Is she stuck in her torpedo tube forever? There's a credit after this. There's a scene after the credits. There is there a scene, scene after, the, after credits. the credits. So where Marina has a full black and white striped tail, black and white pillbox hat, black and white like flowy at the top because she's in jail, bitches. And Benjamin is there, and he just goes, "What did we learn?" <laughs> so this is this is to wrap everything up. Scene fifteen, back to before. Sebastian narrates back to the top. I don't need any ragtime right now. I don't need ragtime right now. (laughs) So Sebastian, he narrates, I mean, generally, I don't mind cliched narration because I get it's hard to wrap things up in an overarching fashion. The movie's wrapped. At the end of this movie, I'm not like, but wait, what now? But he says Ariel comes back home and life went on just the same as before. Time out. Life does not go on the same as before because ten minutes later the movie happens. Yeah, original. So was this whole movie for nothing? Did getting music back to the palace not matter at all? Horrible narration. I don't know what he meant to. I just felt like he undermined the entire movie by saying, "And now everything was back the way it was before." No, it's back to it was before the before. Yeah. (sighs) Anyway. Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm good. I just... Benjamin. I, I this want, manatee. I want you guys to hear something real quick. This is the sound of Leanne's eight pages of single-space typed notes. She's got bold-faced headings. She's got punctuation marks across the everything. She's got timestamps. This bitch is dedicated. Holy fucking shit. Go bake or go home. Okay. So, to wrap this all up, I have a couple of final thoughts that don't really fit anywhere else. In, you gotta, you gotta uh, put those somewhere, yeah. In any of the uh, very cleverly titled scenes. I hope you appreciated those. So, she was so proud of them, guys. I was so proud of them, if you could tell. She so. had to run them by me because she was afraid the language was too strong. <laughs> I'm very prepared. If I'm nothing but prepared, She's that is fine by me. Very crazy. Just a little bit. I prefer intense. Just a, <laughs> just a little bit. All right, so. You can say what you want. We know. <laughs> Thanks, God. 
<laughs> it's okay. It's okay. For the Little Mermaid, I can be a little nice. <laughs> so, this movie is filled with so many references to other films, other characters. I don't know how effective those references actually were in a film geared towards children. I, as an adult, got them, which is why I wrote them down and relayed them all to you. But they are either dated or require a level of critical comprehension that most children don't have or do not use. This is your thesis, guys. <laughs> if I could write my doctoral thesis She's on The Little Mermaid. She's tomorrow to the board of directors. <laughs> if I could, I would have such... To get her degree in Disneycology. <laughs> a solid shot at it. I she's truly She's talking would. to me like she's behind a podium and I'm about to give her a score. <laughs> I hope you score me really well. Oh my god. <laughs> and then, to make matters worse, not only is the story really bad, the lack of original songs. Even the in, songs are always so bad in the sequel. Even in The Little Mermaid 2, there are a couple of, like, Amazing. Sing that whole fucking song for me so, right now. So, catchy, cute, we remember them, right? And there are plenty of songs that Melody, as the protagonist, sings, right? Yeah. In this, Ariel has one tiny piece of song, and Queen Athena has one tiny piece of song, and Marina gets all the songs. I don't feel it's right for the villain to have more songs and more focus than the protagonist. Alternate theory that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with this movie, but just Disney movies in general. They seem to be taking away villain songs in Disney movies. They do. Hans did not get a villain song Mm -hmm. in Frozen. Uh, Tafiti doesn't get a villain song, but to be fair, she doesn't talk and she's not really the villain, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the closest we get is Shiny. I, 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 that's a whole different can of words. No, but, like, the, the villain song of This Is What I Want and This Is How I'm Gonna Fucking Get It. Those are the best songs in Disney movies. Fucking tell me Poor Unfortunate Souls wasn't your goddamn jam when you were a kid. It is still my jam. My poor little poopsies. <laughs> I Don't underestimate the importance of body body language. language. Oh, God, God bless Damn. me. God bless me, some Ursula. So that was a contender for one of my favorite quotes. Anyways, so very close. Not once, not once in this movie is Flounder called a guppy. No, not once. And he's supposed to be younger than he is in the original. So anything she should be calling him a guppy. And it's just Ariel, like in The Little Mermaid. That's her pet name for him, and she calls him a guppy, like, literally... Ten times. Every chance she gets. Not once has he called a guppy here. They could have called him a guppy once and set up that perfectly. Missed opportunity, writers. (sighs) So is Flounder, like, supposed to be a coward because he got, like, PTSD from this movie? I'm like, (laughs) fuck, Ariel, I've seen some shit. I'm gonna be more cautious I've seen some shit. They could have thrown in that line and been like, I'm gonna be a little more careful from now on. Like... There were so many simple ways this movie could have been fixed. And none of them were applied. None of them. None. None. I just... Any any introduction to Ariel having any fascination with anything human. Any of it. It could have been a closing scene at the very end, and it's like, and while Ariel got her way with the music in the palace... He couldn't keep her from straying for long and just over, like, swimming towards a boat. Like, so easy. So simple. Why not do it? Speaking of simple, Benjamin, 
this manatee serves almost zero purpose, but his personality, his foil to Marina is just so... So cute. Cute! Because Marina is being so extra. And he's like, well, I don't know, Marina just seems like a reasonable plan, and like, we should just be a little more cautious. But he's so fucking funny. And I like that he... It's almost as if he's in our world. Like, he does Marina's nails and asks, do you want a Lomi Lomi massage? Like, he does her nails. Okay, can I talk about the nails for a second? So, he's giving this vain excuse of a villain a manicure. And he's filing her nails on one hand, and she has her other hands dipped in the water bowl. And for my non-manicure savvy listeners, you dip your hand in the water bowl. It's an essential step to soften the cuticles. Soften the cuticles. So now you know. And the more you know. Loosens dirt from under your nails. How is she dipping her hand in water in the Wait, water? Wait, water! The whole needing to use water while I'm in a sea of water joke. I just... I mean, every episode of Spongebob? Every episode of Spongebob? How do we let a campfire underwater? I mean, I found it kind of funny. I don't know whether I found the manicure more funny or the fact that the manatee knows how to do a manicure more funny. <gasps> manatee manicure! <laughs> I don't know what about it was the most funny. I just and then he's asking her which color she would for light on her nails. Cute little punny names. And there's cute little punny, names. Cute punny names, and it's like a salmon pink and uh, flounder fuchsia. Flounder fuchsia. It's. Fish-related names with colors, and it's just, it's very cute, and I feel like they put more attention to detail in Benjamin's one-quip dialogues than the rest of the movie. And there's this moment where he's feeding the electric eels, like, he has, like, a bunch of, like, raw meat on a stick, and uh-huh. he sticks it down a hole, and he's like, Jesus, guys, there's no need to be so aggressive. <laughs> like, he's so fucking cute. I love Benjamin. Okay, so, we're going to do... We're getting rid of the point system because it's dumb, guys. And we're going to do The Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning, Drinking Game. Drink! Every time the music is sad and makes you wish you were listening to Alan Macon music. Rule number two of the drinking game. Every time Marina says a cringy line, take a shot. Drink every time the characters are completely anachronistic to how they behave in the next two movies. Anachronistic. Oh my god. That was literally the word I thought of the most while watching this entire Any movie. Disney sequel seems to be like, okay, I know we're in ancient China, but what if there was a Ferris wheel? Like, <laughs> there's no reason for it. I know we're it. in 16th century. No reason for it. We're in 16th century, you know, Dutch country, but what if there was an elephant? Like... Disney sequels seem to just be like, I know we're not, but what if we did? Like, finish your drink every time this film rips off another Disney movie or a Broadway musical. You'll be dead. You will be on the fucking floor. Drink every time you hear the voice of an incredible character actor who is not appreciated for her art because we live in a society where people aren't appreciated unless they're also pretty, which is dumb because Tara Strong and Jennifer Hale and Grey Delise are amazing, gorgeous, talented actresses, and every time you hear their voices, one of the Mercisters, you give them a little bit of shot, like, fuck you. Drink, drink every time the CGI is so bad it's noticeable. Oh my god. Which is only two scenes really, but guys, it's so bad. I would take a really big drink for that one because it just, it hurts so bad. Drink every time you notice how bleak the color palette of this movie is. 
It's like they left this movie out in the sun for too long. <laughs> like, so awesome. Ariel looks like, I'm the heart of this movie. It's like, no, it looks like someone finished coloring you in. Everyone else is like, they're so, like, washed out. It's weird. Uh, drink every time the song is a reprise or a cover. It's five times, guys. Drink every time you wish there was more. Drink every time you feel like this movie but left Ariel, you jilted. But, but Leanne, I want more. I want to be. Drink every time you just start singing part of your world because you are a human being with a heart and a soul. Drink any time that you wish you could sing a song from either The Little Mermaid or The Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea because anything would be better than the songs in this particular film. I couldn't film. sing a single song from it if you paid me. I literally could not. I I could sing bright blue endless sky because that's repeated about six times. Actually. Yep. I think, I think, okay. And now our favorite quotes from the original and our favorite favorite being a loose term from the sequel. So for the original, my favorite is Teenagers, they think they know everything. You give them an inch, they swim all over you. Ah! I wrote that down as my favorite quote! Wanna know fun fact? Wanna know a fun fucking fact? That line was improvised. And then my secondary favorite quote, which I think is your other one, is... And don't underestimate the importance of a body language. Uh, everyone do yourself a favor and Google the video of Pat Carroll doing that like four years ago at Comic-Con. Like a fan is like, um, if it's not too much trouble, could you say, and never underestimate the importance of body language? And she drops full into the voice and does the full laugh and everything. It's incredible. Oh, God bless her. So was that your favorite from the original? It was my favorite from I'm the original. sorry. No, no. It goes to show just how good of a quote it is. And it kind of summarizes the occurrences of The Little Mermaid. It applies to reality, and it's something that we can relate to. Now, as an adult, I'm thinking back on my teenage years. Mm -hmm. And I went, yep, I was most definitely given an inch, and I swam all over it. Mm -hmm. And the adults watching the film, for the first time, probably went, yeah, shit, ain't that the truth? And I really appreciate in writing, in art, art imitating life. And even in fictional, fantastical Disney films, mm -hmm. it makes the whole piece grounded in some sort of truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, don't fault me. I have a degree in theater. I have to search for the truth in the art. She's presenting again, guys. I am presenting again. Please give me my PhD in theater. So, God damn it! This I, okay. So I was just in this show this summer, guys. That's why the second episode of this entire show was late because I was in Tech Week and it was really fucking hard. This show is so fucking good. It's so good. Like literally, we've been doing this show for six weeks. Like we know the lines, we know what's coming next. Every time Triton yelled at Ariel and broke her shit, like the whole cast backstage just like, oh my god, it's all her stuff. Like. Legitimately cried every time because we were all that like teenager who like we had something that was so important to us and our parents just didn't get it. And also can I say, you know you're getting old when you watch a Disney movie and every time one of the characters goes, I'm not a child anymore! Yes you are! Fuck yes you are. Every time Ariel goes, I'm not a child! Like, you're 16 and you want to get married. You're an idiot. Yep. There's a really great like cartoon series called If the Moms Lived. Mm-hmm. 
and it's all of these Disney characters, like, how like, the movie wouldn't have happened if they had lived, and it's, like, the best one is Ariel's mom, and she's, like, Triton. It's a crush. She'll get over it in five minutes. Definitely don't break all of her shit that's straight-up abusive. <laughs> I love it. I feel that if these Disney characters had their their mothers, not their stepmothers, if they had their mothers... A lot of this shit just could have been avoided. The Jasmine one is my favorite. It goes, of course she can fucking go outside. We gave her a tiger and she can't go outside. I cannot. I just remember. Okay, this is a little bit of a tangent. I might cut this out because this is a touch personal. So my grandmother, her mom died when she was very young, like four years old. And then her dad remarried and her dad died when she was like eight. So she was raised by her stepmother her entire life with her sister. And, like, every time my grandma would read me a story with an evil stepmother, she would, like, close the book and look at me and be like, you know that stepmothers aren't evil, right? Stepmothers are incredible. They're incredible people who come into a family and, like, you know what? It's not blood. It's not marriage. And they take those children and they make them their own. So you never fault the stepmother. And I'm like, I'm six, grandma. Like, but, like, literally, it was so always so shitty to stepmothers. It's like... Hi, I'm trying to step into this family unit and do my best. Well, fuck you, stepmom. I feel like... I don't know if this... You know the only movie where a stepmom isn't a villain? Stepmom. I've not seen that movie. (gasps) It's Susan Sarandon. Okay, so this woman and her husband get divorced, like, for other reasons, and then the original mom is dying of cancer. Oh, no. And she basically goes to Susan Sarandon, who's the stepmom, and is like, I want you to raise my kids like I would have. Oh, sorry. So, like, they're trying to co-parent, co-mom for as long as they can before their mom dies. Mm-hmm. It's so fucking sad. And so they, like, oh, oh, it's such a good movie. It's so sad. Okay, fuck. Favorite lines from the sequel. Alrighty, so. Because of the vast amount of screen time and dialogue and songs that Marina gets compared to the rest of the characters... Uh, for me, Marina holds the win for best and worst quote in <laughs> this film. So the best quote from The Little Mermaid 3, Ariel's Beginning. This is just the beginning. I want a balcony so I can lay down the adoring crowds. High enough so they can't see the disdain on my face. You taste it, gentlemen. Savage, Marina. Oh my god. Chelsea has written that down as her favorite line. <laughs> I swear we didn't watch this together. <laughs> oh my god! My other favorite quote is. How long has she been in charge? Seven minutes. <laughs> that was my number two. That was my number two. Watch only the Marina and Benjamin scenes. You'll save yourself so much trouble. <laughs> Just the Marina and Benjamin scenes are enjoyable enough in themselves. Oh my god. <laughs> well, there we go. That's a unanimous two person vote on the best quote. And I thought it was a bit odd that the best quote came from the villain. The villain. Yeah. I didn't care once about the protagonist. I didn't care about Ariel. I didn't care about Sebastian. I didn't care about Flounder. Well, also because you have no concern for them in a prequel. You're not like, are they going to make it? Yes. They'll be fine. Just nothing, nothing they said struck me. Nothing stayed with me. But I'm just like, damn, Marina, you straight up savage. All right, everyone. That was The Little Mermaid, um, Ariel's Beginning. Uh, Leanne, where can people find you online? 
You can find me online on Facebook. Oh, wow. She's being brave. She's giving her Facebook, guys. And you can find me online as Callie Blair, pretty much Twitter and everywhere else. And follow uh, Stupid Sequels everywhere. At this point, we have a Twitter. We have a Facebook. We have a subreddit, guys. That's right. I made a subreddit. Is anyone on here on Reddit? I don't know. Join and I'll make you a mod. Like, literally, if you're the first person to join, I'll make you a mod. I don't have a Twitter. <laughs> well, you're lame. I'm old. I'm sorry, guys. Well, I have all the social medias because I'm a garbage person millennial. <gasps> all right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, next month, I can already tell you what our movie is going to be. And it's the return of our original guest. Because, um, well, guys, it's going to be a Christmas movie. Because it's going to be December. And it's going to be a Disney movie. That's all the hints you get. And I think that only applies to about three movies. So, uh, good luck guessing. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Stupid Sequels podcast. Please subscribe and review so everyone can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at Stupid Sequels 2 or email us at stupidsequelspodcast at gmail.com. Every episode is made possible by our sound engineer, Francis Gacod. Our logo was designed by Nicole Wiseman at Wiseshots, and you can find me online at Callie Blair on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else. And remember, even though these movies are stupid, deep down, we really love them.